The following episode of Critical Weave Theory is going to have some mild spoilers to the following anime. Akudama Drive, Moriarty the Patriot, Code Geass just a little bit, Log Horizon, and that time I got reincarnated as a slime. If you wanted to go into these completely blind, I would suggest skipping this episode, but there's no spoilers in here that would ruin the experience for you, we don't think. Regardless, make sure to check out um, today's guest, Amaramaraz, in the description of wherever you're listening to this, too. Yeah, that's it. Have fun. Uh, hello. Oh, we're, we're hello. Are we all I, recording? I am recording now. Okay. See, this is this is the thing that Rockford does. They just start the podcast. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> Cold open. Fair enough. Well, it's because I like... We like chat to get ourselves yeah. warmed up, and at a certain point, we like reach the point out just like, okay, cool, this is a natural yeah. like segue from one into another. It is indeed a natural segue. Yeah. Um, so, hello. Um, this week, uh, did you first of all, did you like uh, the guests we had on last week, which will come up day after tomorrow, as if time of recording? Uh. Say yes, you asshole. I'm a time traveler, uh, and I've already listened to them. What? Aw. Huh? Who said that? <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Um, Got a spooky yeah. guest in here. Um, weren't they? This week, weren't they informative and entertaining? This week we have Amr Amoraz. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I can do this. Hey, I'm um, Emraz. Uh, I use any pronouns except he. Um, what else that goes in an introduction? It's like my pronouns plus yep, she. Yep, pretty much. She's a cool pronoun for me. I like it. Yeah, hell yeah. I, in fact, I, uh, I, I based my pronouns after, uh, I think after Umr change her pronouns to anything other than he i was like huh yeah i would be anything good with anything other than he or she so in truth i copied her (laughs) anyway um yeah uh thanks for coming on uh if you want you can take a little bit to tell us like what you do online and then of course at the end you'll have yeah uh, plenty of times to plug any specific projects i mean go into sure most people who would know me probably know me from stuff around the tabletop rpg scene um what don't i do uh someone please help me i don't know how to say no uh i do game design (laughs) podcasting um streaming uh i try to write a lot of games that from like story games to crunchy games i do freelance writing uh I talk, go on streams to talk about colonialism and uh, orientalism and racism, TTRPGs. Uh, I do podcasts for fun because I like them. Yeah. That's awesome yeah. and really cool. And I have to say, um, they, um, they are probably one of the only people, along with Raghavanath, who have listened to the hidden... Uh, very first attempt at recording CWT. I did. I did. I yes. listened to it a couple times. <laughs> and she gave us so much uh, amazing feedback that we made it better. And we made this. Yeah. So, uh, so you can, um, the show wouldn't exist without you. You, you can thank so me much. for all the good things uh, and then blame them for all the bad. Uh, there isn't much <laughs> anyways, but if there is, you can throw it their way. Uh, but you can give me the praise. Thank you. 
No. <laughs> yeah, listen. Yes, it, it was... Any imperfections of CWT is because we haven't been able to implement like her vision. Yeah. yeah. So uh, no. Uh, honestly, it was a lot of fun to get to listen to those early episodes because it's just a lot of fun to listen to those two speak. And uh, I mean, if you're here, you probably agree with me because they have insightful things to say. Oh. Or you're here because you think Amr is really cool. In which case, I agree with you. She is really cool. That we were actually just talking about this uh, just before we started recording, and I think it's actually uh, worth talking about here because if you've been listening to the CWT podcast at all, one of the things we love to do is random real world events. Woo! Should we do a a random real real world event depressing segment? <laughs> I'll make a little it, jingle it for very... it. It leads really nicely into our first topic. So uh, how about we take a few moments to talk about the George Floyd Act that just passed? The House. Yes, the House. That house. Um, I haven't read it. I read the, I read the minimum wage bill, um, which is struggling to get past the House um, because... Uh, Democrats are um, legitimately, they are evil, uh, shameless ghouls. Uh, yep. Do not, who, the, the last thing they want is to be in power. Uh, uh, George Floyd Act. Uh, in a nutshell, what it does, yeah. it, it just, it gives, it's like the Justice and Policing Act of 2020. No, wait, no. 2020, it like, it like died, right? So they, they reintroduced it. And it give, it just gives police like millions of dollars um, to investigate themselves, but they can use ninety five percent of the money not doing that. So it it just it just gives them more money. It bans chokeholds, but this neglects the fact that chokeholds have been banned in places like NYC, and they were still used anyway. And it also neglects the fact that George Floyd was not killed by a chokehold. It, banning chokeholds has always been a weird thing. Like, people have wanted to ban chokeholds ever since, like, Eric Garner. But, like, chokeholds were banned when Eric Garner was mm-hmm. killed with one. It, there's also the fact that, like, pretty much, despite this being, like, functionally just more funding for the, for the police... The overwhelming majority of Republicans voted against it. I assume for any association with George Floyd and anything resembling oversight. It's definitely a cultural and um, political signal to their base more than an actual practical thing. Which which kind of, to be honest, um, shows how, like, frustrating Democrats are. Because they're, they're constantly, like, eager to compromise and move to the right to get something that republicans will vote on but republicans don't vote on ideas they vote on like culture bullshit right it doesn't matter how much funding um to the police you put into your um, anti-police bill um to get some republicans to sign on to it they're not going to sign on to it because the title says um, police oversight bill of, of blah 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 blah, right? So why are you even bothering, right? Like what? Of course we know why they're bothering yeah. because they do want they do just want to get more money to cops, right? But like 
it's insulting that they pretend the reason why they do that is because they want to compromise for, with Republicans. Just be honest. Just yeah. be honest. You're a ghoul. You yeah. can tell me. It's fine. I already know. <laughs> I was talking about it earlier, and I will continue to say it now. It is absolutely evil how a mass uprising that, at minimum, demanded a defunding of the police had its figurehead strapped to a bill that increases funding for the police. It does the literal exact opposite of what was asked. Does that mean that's like, I specifically requested the opposite of this? <laughs> yeah, so, and um, that just felt relevant to talk about here, both because I know it can be tempting to be like, uh, oh, well, you know, we passed the George Floyd Act, so the demonstrations over the past year were for something. But no, what does that act actually do? It doesn't mean anything if it simply has that name. Right. Okay, we'll keep yep. an eye on it. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you will see um, my snarky responses to politicians, which is my favorite kind of tweet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, f- I, I guess if I also say is like I, f- I feel like what this bill kind of really highlights, if you haven't already picked up on it, which is the entire U.S. politics is Republicans and Democrats arguing over the optics of being progressive and not and and conservative rather than having any fundamental difference in policy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It is. I mean, it is the reason why we see now like republicans want like a commission into cancel culture and how the far left they're coming for dr seuss like um the reason why is because like the culture war they fucking fucking love that shit like like it's the fumes that give them life you know they're worried that we went after dr seuss so susan can be next This is why we love Ummer on this show. Bad jokes? Um, Thank you. I have a lot of them. I'm I'm still absolutely... I'm still absolutely losing it over. I'm sure glad we elect Joe biding his time to avoid filling any of his campaign promises. I will be calling him Joe Biden uh, until the end of time and encourage you all to do the same. um, I would say I will do it until he achieves at least one campaign promise but let's be honest with ourselves right i feel like we're being pretty fair to him we're 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 simply saying listen we know you're a piece of shit just at least the things you promise to do do them and he doesn't even do that (laughs) (laughs) like i like like we're not because it's like we're holding you to the standards you set yourself not even the standards we'd want to set for a president it's like, okay, here's a massively popular, low-effort thing you could do. And then all of, like, the people were like, and we were like, well, Joe Biden's not going to do that. And they're like, it's fine. We'll settle for less than what we wanted, but still non-zero. And we're even having trouble getting less than what we wanted and still non-zero. And this is, I think, a severe problem of, like, the constant shifting of goalposts, right? Of, like, we need 100, and we should be fighting for 100. We should not be, like fighting for one right right Right. like we needed so much more than two thousand dollar stimulus and we didn't even get that 
now they're making they're and they didn't even just give us 1400 stimulus they're making us fight for that and obviously of course like the stimulus itself is not the i love my beans yeah stimulus oh my god and obviously it's not even (laughs) (laughs) it's a whole song now i'm sorry (laughs) and obviously it's not even like just that the stimulus it would have been the solution and if we had gotten a two thousand five thousand ten thousand dollar stimulus everything would have been fine that's not what i'm saying here Mm -hmm. what i'm saying here is that not even that right not even a tenth not even a hundredth of what is needed right not even not even a hundredth of what is needed is even being offered much less being fought for and so um other people have said it i will also say it uh um if anyone says uh this has been a good presidency uh it hasn't and also uh because i love to quote Amr on this uh because it is one of her best quotes uh when people tell you who they are listen i've definitely heard that and stole that from somewhere but it is a good line oh. Oh, I just keep attributing it to you. <laughs> I, oh, I, no. will, I, will, I mean, that specific phrasing might be oh, mine, no. but it is a concept that... I feel like the most, the more common phrasing I've seen is like when like when someone shows their ass, look. When someone says they're a professional <clears throat> shitbag. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of policing and the ways in which uh, movements can be co-opted, Akudama drives... Oh, yeah. This will not be the last time you hear about Akudama Drive on CWT. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it even the first time. But Akudama Drive. Yeah, um, Akudama Drive is a show that I watched because Rakata here uh, was like, we're going to sit down and watch this. And I said, I have no idea what this is about. And they said, sure, it's fine. Just watch it. And so we watched it. And it was fantastic. Um really it was really great it was it was it's a really um special show um essentially it's a uh cyberpunk action romp with really bright neon colors and like a it's like a really memorable art style i need you to look up akudama drive and just like look at the pictures that come up here i'm gonna do this right now (laughs) hold on (laughs) wait you can't see me do it but yeah it like looks um i think fantastic but more than just looking mm-hmm. uh, fantastic, um, it is um, it is what would happen um, if anime was running at eleven all of the time. Yeah, like <laughs> if it was co- if it if it was constantly just firing on all cylinders and never not like yeah. trying. Um, what it's about is even better than what it looks like. Yeah, um, um, I feel like the two things you need to know about Akadama Drive going in. Are that one? It is a show that cares not at all about logical consistency, but thematic consistency. Um, mm-hmm. Throw out all your preconceived notions about how things should work, and just enjoy it for the messages it is trying to tell you. Uh, Absolutely, it will. It will pull out like um, random uh, bullshit twists <laughs> in the middle of episodes. Um, it will. It will jump the shark, and the shark will go into a rocket. Yep. <laughs> and the rocket will fly away and you will be like 
and then they'll like do a somersault over the rocket and it'll turn out that the somersault over the rocket flew into the moon and blew up the moon uh, and, and you'll just be like what yeah why uh, and the answer is because it looked fucking awesome yes <laughs> the, all the somersaults it, it, that was badass and you want to see the somersaults well, again. well but the other reason is because the somersaults were a metaphor for the human condition, and the metaphor actually, like, works yeah. really oh, well. Yeah, um, the other thing is, Akadama Drive is two shows stuffed into one show. Um, the first half is a heist anime. Plus episode plus 11. Episode <laughs> plus episode 11. We don't, okay, I know y'all... I, I enjoy episode 11. I know y'all have feelings about it. I enjoy it. But the first half is a heist anime. It is a heist anime for six episodes. Uh, if you like heists, if you like cyberpunk... If you like cool action sequences, you're going to have a great time with a heist anime. And then the back half is like a serious drama exploring some real freaking heavy and important themes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I think maybe a bit more of an explanation to the plot would be good. And then I think yeah. the two themes that we might want to focus on today are um, mm-hmm. uh, colonialism and um, just some of the role um, that the state, the the role of the state in assigning criminality, I think, would be mm-hmm. um, the two things that we mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes. Akadama Drive basically follows um, 12. They were 12, right? I feel like that's too many. A handful, a handful of um, Six some of the, yeah, some of the worst criminals known to, um, to this world. Um, called um, Akudama, um, and they all have uh, powers, like, except for our protagonist, um, Swindler. She she accidentally stole five, five yen or something. <laughs> and, and then she, she gets lumped in with all of these, like, hardened criminals who have, like, all these, like, um, amazing talents um, to, to dismember people, to, to punch really hard. Um, one of them has a bike. <laughs> it's a cool bike. It's, it's the best character on the show. Figure it's the best character on the show. Um, and essentially, uh, they are all hired um, by a mysterious um, black cat to uh, uh, commit um, to commit a really um, to commit like a really grave crime, not against any people, but against property, uh, which is like a theme we'll see a lot. Um, they they need to steal essentially um, an offering from the government to. Uh, the colonial government in the show um, and uh, that kind of brings us to the the second intriguing part of this setting is that it takes place between um, uh, Kanto and Kansai um, in Japan where um, uh, there was a Japan had like a civil war in the far future um, a bomb a, a very special and um, powerful bomb left much of Japan un- uninhabitable um, and Kanto now um, rules over Kansai in a way that is very, very similar to U.S. occupation uh, in Japan. And the characters have to navigate through all of that. It's like, for, for a 12-episode series, it is really, really, really... It, it touches on so many different like political aspects mm-hmm. of life. It's, it's, you, you, you have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And we're going to talk about the colonialism and imperial elements more. But I just want to say that that is, like, not even the main theme of that show. There is mm-hmm. 
two or three themes that I would put as like much more central to what the show tries to tackle, and they all have to do with criminality and what that means. Yes. Um, yes. And right. it manages to do all of them somehow. And and once you watch the show, you'll realize that it's it's more relevant than you could even realize. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It was a very strategic way. I think more than just that, like Akudama Drive, I think, especially in the context of the George Floyd protests and other uprisings against the police, like it just plays really well with that. Either they like wrote Akudama Drive in less than a year, in which case, wow, or like the timing just happened to work out. But in either case, like I think the timing definitely Let's talk about criminality. Work. Yeah. Let's talk about criminality and criminalization. What does it mean to be a criminal? Well, should we give like a theory-based answer or should we give um, at least... We should. Okay. A criminal is someone who has broken the law, which is a, <laughs> which is a, a deceptively um, simple description for what a criminal is, um, specifically around the word law. Yep. Um, who... Uh, makes the law number one who enforces the law number two um someone who uh, a boss who um underpays um their workers or who fails to do overtime pay um is a criminal because they have broken the law Um, but they're very 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 unlikely to be arrested um, because the people who enforce the law do not enforce that one um nearly as much as they enforce the law when, say, somebody, uh, like a poor person, is on uh, heroin, or uh, when a houseless person is, like, like dumpster diving, or something like that. I, I feel like it would be perhaps more apt to say a criminal is someone who is prosecuted for breaking the law. Yes. Because you can break the I law... Re- and not be a criminal if you are not caught and or charged and or I guess prosecuted might not be the right word, but like penalized, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, I would give my answer as a criminal is someone considered a threat yeah. by the state. So we have like these uh, multiple, I think, competing definitions of criminality. And they all sort of... Uh, they're all sort of based on like one key component right and the component is that like um, to keep in mind that like uh, we don't choose okay no let me start over the the point is that um it's not like a natural thing right it is uh being a criminal is like a social construct and it's constructed by a group of people with power to wield it against people who do not have it. Yep. Um, this is something that a show like Death Note. <laughs> We've we uttered gotta the do name. It. We've uttered the name. I know. We've talked about this um, once before, but it's like the main problem with shows like um, Death Note, um, with a couple others whose names are not coming to mind immediately. Uh, Code Geass. Sorta. Of. Sorta. Of. Code Geass' problem is not with criminality, but with terrorism. Um, yes. I mean, to anyway. speak from like a genre I'm more familiar with, pretty much the entirety of superhero fiction in and out of anime. Oh yeah. Ooh, you wanna 
You want to break that down real quick? Because I know that's something you're very, like, well-versed yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, so, like, superhero media is... Well, it's a, I'm not going to go over, like, the entire history because, like, then you have to get into stuff. Like, in the U.S., it was originally by written by Jewish people as, like, a form of protest. Um, but superhero in its current iteration, in things like anime specifically, like, two of the most popular superhero media in anime currently, I would say, are My Hero Academia and One Punch Man. Right, those mm-hmm. I think are the two. If you if you are aware of anime superheroes, you are probably aware of those two. Um, you might even be only aware of those two. Uh, Mo has written an excellent essay on My Hero Academia and the sort of conservative politics there. But the central kind of conceit is that being a hero makes you good, and being a villain makes you bad, and vice versa. Right, and criminals are dictated by the state to be worthy of being beat up by heroes. And heroes beat up criminals to preserve the status quo in the state, rather than doing what heroes in a show like Black Lightning do, uh, and fight for change of the status quo. Mm. Dare I say, heroes in a show like Akudama uh, yes. Drive. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and so the reason we had to have this entire uh, discussion of criminality beforehand is one. Because everyone in Akudama Drive, our main protagonists, are have been assigned the label of criminal. And a major central point of the show is sort of breaking down how little that word means. Our main character, Swindler, becomes labeled as a criminal by accident, and yet the repercussions of it cause her to go into to understand of how um and even like much later though there's a specific thing i want to reference but i don't want to do uh big spoilers or anything um of how the state uses its authority to decide who is and isn't criminal as a way of not just exerting but justifying its Mm -hmm. power Criminality, as presented by Akudama Drive, is a moral justification for the exertion of mm-hmm. force. And I think mm-hmm. perhaps the most interesting part about that with Akudama Drive is Akudama Drive asks the question, what does it mean to be an Akudama, both explicitly and implicitly, a bunch of times. And it gives us a bunch of answers. And the answers can coexist, but they're not necessarily the same answer. And what's really, I think, interesting about the show is it doesn't posit one as necessarily more right than another, right? It Mm -hmm. gives us a bunch through actions and through people explicitly saying it of different reasons why someone could be an Akadama, what it means to be an Akadama. And it lets you sit with the messy reality that sometimes there isn't just one clean answer to a question about, like, complex social issues. I will... I will be clear that um, the show does um, recognize that who we would consider as the bad guys in the conflict are indeed the bad guys. Like the state are the, the police are the bad guys. Yep. Our, our heroes are the good guys. It's rather um, the nuance comes not yep. in is the status quo good or bad, but rather like um, the way we conceptualize what is happening yep. um, to our protagonists mm-hmm. um, is where the great and. Again, to, like, draw a really quick parallel to Death Note, that's, like, a key distinction of Death Note's question is, what is the most appropriate way to deal with all of these bad people? Whereas Akudama's Drive's question is much is the much more important and much more relevant. Why did we decide these people were bad again? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's two, f and so like this is where Academic Drive gets really neat, is that it's nuanced even in that, because some of the people who are labeled Akadama get revealed to be people who cause meaningful, tangible harm to other folks in society, and like abusers, and like obviously there's there's a lot of talk there about restorative justice and like the fact that the solution there should be to rehabilitate them, not brand them Akadama and execute them in public, but right. it, it also shows that like, yeah, there are people who will still harm other people, but for the most part, the ultimate harm comes from the state. And the nuance there as well comes really interesting, tying this back to colonialism. When we are first introduced to our sort of state-sanctioned executioners, who are literally called executioners, mm -hmm. they're introduced using the imagery of Imperial Japan. Yes. Yes. That's um, really important. Yes. It's really important. And they will consistently use Imperial Japanese imagery for a lot of stuff with the executioners, uh, with how their headquarters are, the Japanese opera masks are used for the Kanto people when they're talking to the executioners. Um, there's a lot of imperial Japanese imagery that is tied with the explicit villains. And the Japanese media struggles with erasure of Japanese atrocities and war crimes. I mean, I, I've not watched Attack on Titan, but I know... That is like one of the major criticisms there, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's generally a problem with anime. And this is a piece of media that shows that you can critique the colonialism and imperialism done to Japan by Western powers, such as the dropping of the nuclear bomb by the US, while also critiquing the harm Japan itself was doing during and before those eras. Exactly. Yeah, I would just add a minor addendum of I feel like this is just a consistent thing not just with Japan in specific but across all cultures yeah. the US for example all US UK France oh, like yeah. basically every single pa country that was at one point a colonial power uh, has had trouble or has perhaps deliberately obfuscated the lasting effects of its colonial yep. power mm -hmm. yep we are barely taught the like we are taught that U.S. has colonies and schools, for example, but we are barely taught the extent of that. It is made to seem like a minor blip as a consequence of the world wars, and not the like history of colonialism, oppression, and exploitation that it actually is. Yes, we're never taught to really grapple with like what those colonies mean and what like what that means for like the ongoing. Uh, growth of global u.s hegemony uh colonialism and colonization are always portrayed as things that happened in the past and won't happen again but akudama drive it it like um as a as they as um as both Amber and drive right rightfully pointed out it like makes you reckon with it almost like it makes you ask questions um which is one of like uh, one of like the smartest um and best parts about the show is that it, it it's a show that forces you to think ab about the present about um the state about like the relationship between between the powerful and the powerless it does yeah. all that while also having some of the most kick-ass action sequences i've seen in oh, yeah. media like so cool it's a visual spectacle on top of everything else mm -hmm. it is it is refreshing um, to see an anime uh, actually handle 
like a lot of the themes that we opened this podcast with um and also be um incredibly fun um and um like it's just everything about it is really good there's not a part of it that isn't (laughs) Um, there's not a part of it mm -hmm. that like just flat out doesn't work right just all around like conceptually artistically musically except for the opm uh, I don't, it's, I'm not really a fan of DOP, but everything else about it just. The only okay. thing I would add is if you if you do go to watch it, um, I would say there's one throwaway homophobic joke or two in like the first oh, couple yeah. episodes, yeah, and yeah. CW for sexual assault at the end of episode eight. It is oh, yes, yes, yes. one of the few yes. sexual assault scenes in a piece of media that I will watch because. It never progresses further than like the threats of it. It is not done gratuitously, and it is, and it, it is handled well and give, is used to give agency to the character rather than take it away from them. Is I guess the way I would put it. And that is yeah, that was the yes. rare. The one thing I wanted to put is that it centers the victims of the attack rather than the people, because there is someone who does come and help the person who is being attacked, um, like towards the end of the scene. Um, but it really is about the person who was attacked, yep. and about how this person um, fights against it and like overcomes it, overcomes yep. the threat, and not like some objectifying, like paternalistic bullshit that we see yep. in a lot of anime. It does not victimize. Yes, her. Mm-hmm. and and when she later faces an even greater abuser, she overcomes that through her she own fucking agency. Kills the yeah. guy. That's so good. Mm. It's. Akudama Drive has so many scenes of people viscerally stabbing their abusers. Oh, yeah. And I just, I love the show for yeah. that. This is one of the reasons I'm not, too, because because we, we do have, like, another... We will talk, like I said before, we will talk about Akudama Drive again. And one of the reasons I'm not too concerned about it is that there is just so much in yes. the show to talk about. We're, we're not going to run out of shit to talk about. And we could do like a multiple podcast sequence just on Akutama <laughs> Drive if we really wanted to. And not one of those episode we by episode things. We could spend more time talking about Akudama Drive than there is time of yeah. Akudama yep. Drive. Mm-hmm. Just because of the like word association you can do to, as like upfront for talking about yep. abolition. Mm-hmm. Speaking if you're here and you're watching anime and you're interested in abolition as a concept, uh, there's an idea for you. Um, but I digress. Uh, speaking of um, imperialism, colonialism, and criminality, let's talk about another show that stars criminals. That's right, Moriarty the Patriot, oh, which oh, I think man. also has also critically as a part of the story asks the question of what makes someone a criminal and also provides its own thesis as an answer and the thing about moriarty is i watched the first episode i was really 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 skeptical about moriarty patriot because Mm -hmm. the the description is kind of deceptive it describes it as um like a reverse true crime sort of thing Mm -hmm. Where like Sherlock Holmes's villain, um, like wages a war against the nobility after he's like personally mistreated by them, mm-hmm. and this is like my least favorite trope, right? It is the, it's it's basically like Lelouch, right? <laughs> okay, we're gonna get to Code Geass, right? But but we it is are. a lot. Like, unfortunately, um, if only yeah, we, we would not. 
if only <laughs> if only we could not but we will but it is like um it is one of those deals where uh like one of the people from the higher part of society like paternalistically goes down and says i will save all the inferiors from their oppression and make a new world where i'm in charge right and i hated that so i thought i thought moriarty patriot is going to be that one episode Fun goes fact by. about the first episode of moriarty the patriot is that it wasn't even in the manga yeah the first episode of moriarty the patriot is actively harmful to the rest of moriarty the patriot start moriarty the patriot from episode two like, like, just skip it. Don't watch it. Yeah, it, 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 just yeah. skip it. It's it's fucking awful. So first episode of Moriarty Patriot it's goes by. It's not just awful. It's like completely unnecessary. <laughs> first episode goes by, and I'm like, eh, this is okay, I guess. It wasn't as bad as gonna as I thought. Second episode goes by. There's a new intro talking about how, like, at the height of the British Empire, like the difference between the rich and the poor was staggering. As like the like the British Empire colonized like one quarter of the world and how the aristocracy is like building like a rotten world where like the poor starve while the rich eat lavishly. I'm like, what the what where did this come from? What? Hold on. They just explained Where's colonialism better from? than every single teacher or professor I've had except like one. Where was this? Why didn't you start with this? But um like, lead with it. Uh, and and, and from, the, from that point on, I fell in love. We yeah. can talk about imperialism, and we will talk about imperialism, more specifically capitalist exploitation as it relates to Moriarty the Patriot, because that's a very important part of it. Mm-hmm. But I want to start our conversation of Moriarty the Patriot by leading off from the Akadama Drive conversation we just had, of talking about how Moriarty the Patriot is a story about criminals. Yeah. Um, people, Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think we should start with giving a quick summary um, for the it's, listeners. Yeah. Uh, if you're familiar with Sherlock Holmes, uh, it's uh, Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. Um, Moriarty is a criminal consultant. That is, he gives advice to criminals as to how to best complete their crimes. And you might immediately think wait that sounds like a bad person thing until you realize that moriarty the patriots criminals are overwhelmingly working class people using crimes to get back at their bourgeois overlords yep and resoundingly moriarty the patriots answer to who is a criminal is anyone who is a threat to the bourgeoisie mm-hmm. it that's is the definition the... it works with it is the only anime I've ever seen that uses the term mutual aid correctly and in text. <laughs> yep. That is how um, explicit Moriarty the Page is uh, in its leftism. Yep. Um, Moriarty the Page is really cool because like, I come from the perspective of... Let me not mumble over my words. I come from it... I come to it from the perspective of someone who really loves the genre with all its flaws like i'm not a super big sherlock holmes fan but i have read every single hercule poirot novel um i enjoy agatha christie's writing style uh even Uh with a lot of the flaws there and it as a lover of the genre this show does everything i enjoy with the mystery thriller suspense genre while also bringing in good politics um it's it's another um as like a similarity to 
similarity to Akudama Drive. Um, it's another show that just it shows an incredible, um, an incredible amount of thoughtfulness into like the politics um, of the show and how that relates to um, politics in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, for a show that is really, really obvious, like neither Moriarty the Patriot or Akudama Drive, like pretends that they are something that they're not. Except for the first episode of Moriarty the Patriot, which absolutely does try and pretend that it's not actually, like, based but, on... Well, cool if you watch it content. knowing what it's going to become and or watch it once you know what it's going to become, you see the roots of it still there. It's just yeah. not as explicit. It's just, it, like, they, they tried to hide it in, the, in episode one, uh, but they couldn't because it's just... It's like a bright light and, like, trying to cover yeah. that with, like, masking tape or something, you know? The um, best part of Moriarty the Patriot is that Moriarty in Moriarty the Patriot doesn't manipulate people, he gives them agency. Yes. He doesn't... Another another foreshadowing to quote Code but okay. He doesn't... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, in the same way that how can you talk about Death Note without talking about Akudama Drive, because they just complement each other so well. Mm. How can we talk about Code Geass without talking about what Code Geass wanted to be? Moriarty the Patriot. And that is to say that um, in a show like Code Geass, which we will get to talking to, our uh, quote-unquote evil protagonist who does crimes basically decides what everyone else should do, and then they do what he says, or they don't do what he says, and then they die. In Moriarty mm-hmm. the Patriot, Moriarty himself does not ever go to someone and say, you should kill this person. He goes to someone who wants to kill that person, but doesn't have the means to do so and uses his privilege and his intellect to give them the means to accomplish the what to they do. want yep. to do. Um, and that's that's the really cool part about Moriarty the Patriot, right? Is at the end of the day, the, the focus in Moriarty the Patriot in its revolutionary message is about giving agency to people and or making them realize they held the agency all along, right? Because one of the yeah. greatest impacts of colonialism capitalism, imperialism, what have you, is actively stripping people of whatever agency it can and making people think they have no agency with whatever they have left. Um, it's it's a twofold thing, right? Because there is an element of it that is actively take away people's agency that limits their ability to act, limits their access to resource. But there is still an impact of, like, there's a reason why anti-strike messaging is so strong because striking is still a, like, thing that we have the agency to do as a society that yep. they have to convince us that we don't have that agency and Moriarty is about building the class consciousness to realize no hey we can actually make an impact mm-hmm. it is I literally will... like Moriarty's plan right like like his 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 big his big evil evil scheme sorry I've been watching too much Venice and Prim. but <laughs> <laughs> his big evil scheme is literally just um uh, we can't do like a revolution on our own, but if we can get as many people as possible to realize that a revolution is necessary and possible, um, then they can do a revolution. Yep. He's basically um, th- th- this is like ex- I'm not like extrapolating or anything. He 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 says this in as many words. Yes. Um, um, it, is a, just, it is it is a story so you know, about class the patriot is not at all subtle about what it's trying to do. <laughs> yeah, so there's no reading say, into this. It says this. It says this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's actually a reason kind of both Akodama and Moriarty is there's a really interesting contrast in how they both approach this. 
because neither of them are subtle shows with their theming, but they're both not subtle in different ways and subtle in opposite ways. In that mm-hmm. Moriarty very explicitly tells you its message. It has one goal, one theme that Moriarty and his associates will constantly restate and make explicit to you. Right? The and, oppression of the lower classes by the upper classes. Yes. Like they uh, just and say that. It's, and specifically that we are going to give people the agency to overcome that and repeatedly shows us that. Its subtlety comes in the ways that it shows that that even the system that is supposedly benefiting those in power can still harm those who aren't at the very top of the power, right? It is still a harmful system to everyone. There is one episode in which a person who is born into, like, the middle class of the aristocracy is specifically manipulated and has their life fucked up because they do things that are not in line with the perfect image of the aristocracy. And Moriarty gives them agency to realize that as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same way, like... We talk about like sometimes we talk about patriarchy as a thing that most directly harms women, right? That is what it does. It marginalizes and harms women and other folks of marginalized genders, mm-hmm. uh, trans men, non-binary folks, genderqueer folks. But it also does harm cis men. Toxic masculinity is a thing that causes physical harm to a lot of uh, people, but it can also harm the people who internalize it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can harm the people this... internalize it. it. Can harm like the people who fail to live up to it. Um, yeah. and so on and so forth yeah uh, on, on the other hand Akudama Drive is not at all explicit in giving one message or one theme it throws a lot of themes and its subtlety comes not in like and it throws them in your face but its subtlety comes in how it gives you subtle and nuanced understanding and answers to those themes even if it never gives you like a single core message that it's like here we are spoon feeding you this revolutionary no message one, like Moriarty. no one stands up and goes hey it turns out that the way we treat criminals is fucked up yo yeah it lingers on the question are akudama bad for all of like a second when it's asked and then cuts to the next scene mm. right it makes it puts its message up front but it never spoon feeds you the answer and it forces you to think about it like you all mentioned earlier mm. Um, I would say Moriarty does not make you think, and that's not a bad thing. It no. just sort of tells you. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. okay. I, I need I need to read some of the lyrics from the OP Dying Way because, like, what <laughs> the second that they actually put subtitles for the OP, I was shook. Like, yeah, they're really okay. fucking good. Like, while, it says, while you find quote, them, I mm-hmm. no, I, I already found it. But oh, go for okay, it. What do you want to say? Okay. But, like, the, the words, right? Like, bloody world, the dystopia without light, okay? The flowers won't bloom while being oppressed. Instead of standing and watching, let's start to put an end to it, okay? It's just telling you, please do a revolution, please. Like, please change things. We cannot, we cannot continue to live like this. Shed that tears to stop tragedy. Shake off, the heart will be filled. When you lose your... Okay, maybe don't literally lose your life. But you get what I mean here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing I wanted to say, and this is a bit of a carryover from uh, an older point, but uh, Moriarty himself in this version is, one, an adopted commoner, right? Mm-hmm. But the other thing is he is, I think, the only example of the good noble trope I can possibly think of. Oftentimes when we have, you know, we have the good prince or we have mm-hmm. the good whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fundamentally, the good royalty just is royalty who has better ideas than bad royalty. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But good, but good royalty never puts power in the hands of people who are not nobility. Yeah, Moriarty in Moriarty the Patriot is a good noble because he puts power in the hands of people who are not the aristocracy. Exactly. Literally, he gives them agency, and that's what makes him a good noble. I, I'm actually going to push back a little bit because I don't think Moriarty is the only good noble. Oh um, no. I think we have to talk about his brother. His oh, adopted I, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't absolutely. mean like Moriarty's yes. only good noble in the show. I mean oh, sure. Moriarty the Patriot, the yes. show. Mm-hmm. Has, I just yeah, but talk I think about his, his brother. His, his, his brother uh, by adoption is actually really worth talking about with the good noble trope because he is a more stereotypical good noble trope, right? In that he is born into nobility. He is from the family that Moriarty gets adopted into. Um, but like. Moriarty, he focuses on using his power to give agency to Moriarty. He provides a really interesting model of what allyship can look like, because he comes from privilege. He's only known privilege, right? Mm-hmm. But what he uses that for is to give resources and backing to Moriarty and values Moriarty's perspective, because Moriarty has the lived experience. Mm-hmm. It is not how these stories about privilege often end up of well, you know, Albert, the noble, knows what to do and thus does what he thinks is best. It is Albert you puts his power behind the people who know what oppression is like. And Moriarty, in turn, puts his power behind the people who know what oppression is like. Um, it is really f- wild to me how this show is one of the few shows about, like, uh, liberation that is not chauvinistic it is not uh, people who have never understood oppression talking down to people who have lived through oppression their entire lives cough cough code geos it's the entire show uh, yeah is it time is it time Before for transition we, go. Well, I... well, we don't have to talk about code geos in detail here especially since we haven't finished it but uh, yeah if you follow mo on twitter you've seen his tweets about it uh you've seen that code Geass basically i cannot uh, believe those threads do so well i don't <laughs> y'all really hankering for someone to take code Geass to task it's fine it's fine okay <laughs> but it's literally like so why code was written from a liberal centrist perspective who has never seen a single revolution who doesn't who has hasn't even studied one revolution they read about um, revolution on the back of a cereal box, and they're like, "That they, sounds cool." <laughs> it's like, I could do that, and we could be we could we could spend an entire episode dissecting Code Geass, and we will eventually. But critically, for our purposes, as a contrast to Moriarty the Patriot, there's a moment in Code Geass where they're like, you know, the oppressed masses, uh, they don't like being oppressed, but they don't like resorting to violence either. Which is just a really arrogant thing to say that you could only say if you have never studied how oppressed masses behave when presented with a revolutionary army. Mm-hmm. Unlike Moriarty the Patriot, which is like the people yearn for violence, actually. Because in yeah. truth, this, it, this is not like a childish um, thing that Moriarty does at all. It's actually like an extremely mature thing that it does. Mm-hmm. Because um, what Moriarty recognizes um, is that there is violence already being committed against the working class. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's one. I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler because we're trying to stay as spoiler free as possible here. But mm-hmm. there is one um, scene where there's like a working class person whose child dies of an illness that could have easily been prevented if they had access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. But um, the noble who was in charge of them uh, didn't want to waste their doctors on a sick, poor child, and the child died. Right. Um, yeah. And Moriarty, the patriot, treats this as equivalent to um the noble just killing the child and so the noble ends up dying in revenge right because it is that that's maturity code geass will have the exact same situations and code geass will basically say well technically i mean it's not his fault he he wasn't the one who did it so i mean they're like innocent invisibilizes the top-down violence whereas moriarty the patriot in its unsubtlety, makes the top-down violence incredibly visible. Mm-hmm. And the one uh, last thing I want to say about it is Moriarty the Patriot recognizes that oppressed people yearn to retaliate, but are prevented from doing so by the state, police, social centers, the lack of means. Yep. And what it does is it says, okay... I will give you the power to fight back. Uh, like like we've said before, right? That's that's what's going on in the show. Yep. Good show. I I would if you're still not sold on the show, I'm going to give you my two pitches for that I think would convince people to watch the show. Um mm-hmm. the first is if you've ever watched a Leverage and you enjoyed it and wish it was slightly less liberal leaning. You know, that show about people stealing money from rich corporations to give back money to the folks who got screwed over. Watch Moriarty the Patriot. If you loved Leverage, you're going to love this. And if you were disappointed with Leverage not going far enough, you're going to love this. Uh, my second pitch I would give is it does, I think, what every good adaptation and or retelling of a fiction story should do. Um, it does the thing that the Watchmen short series does. It does... It takes the story, it retells it with modern politics, and it it alters the fiction in interesting ways. It, it's a retelling of Sherlock Holmes if Moriarty was involved in every single Sherlock Holmes story. Because in mm-hmm. the middle of the show, they switch to telling classic Sherlock Holmes stories, like A Scarlet Letter. But they tell them as if Moriarty was involved from the start, with the politics of Moriarty. And that is what a good adaptation should do, right? It should bring something new to the table for a piece of media. Recontextualize. It, exactly. That you that's think the that word. You know. I will go a step further to not just talk about how Moriarty gets involved in Sherlock's business, but Moriarty gets involved in Sherlock's business for a very specific reason. Yes. That works and thematically with what they show on. It, a lot of worse shows have no good reason as for why Moriarty would want to be involved with Sherlock Holmes other than a creepy obsession. Yep. Moriarty mm. the Patriot has a very salient and relevant answer as to why that would be the case. Yep. Good also, job. So. it makes all of the characters high anime boys. I was about to say, <laughs> hot <laughs> anime boys. They also They're really so nail... They're so fucking high. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, still have to write, I still have to write my 100k uh, fanfic of Sherlock's ex it, it really nails, I wish like, you the, were the one I was chasing after. Oh my god. <laughs> They, like, they that's do a really line nail from the show, the, and it's really good. They, they nailed the two most important things about Sherlock Holmes. One, that he's a fucking disaster. He is a mess who is falling apart at all times, and they nail that. 
to the homoerotic tension he should have with Moriarty. <laughs> they get both those things. What more could yes. you want? You know, ignore my other pitches. It has homoerotic Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes tension. Go watch it. There, sold. <laughs> Pack it Sherlock up. Holmes a fuckboy. <laughs> he is such a fuckboy. They made him a full fuckboy. They, they, they watched... Someone watched The Mentalist, realized how shitty that show was, but were like... What if we made that dude the antagonist and turned him into Sherlock Holmes? That's what this is. I need to find what was uh, what was my tweet that was like uh, uh, me when I realized um, a cab means, means Sherlock Holmes. Anime fuckboy <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yep, I found it. Uh, but... Oh, oops, <sighs> wrong tweet. Alright. But, uh... Um... But while we're on, like, this bit of, like, talking about... Are, are we done talking about Moriarty the Patriot, by the way? I think so. I think, I think we so. are moving okay. on to the so, last thing. Speaking of uh, Moriarty the Patriot, and one of the things we just talked about was the application of uh, modern politics and outsider an outsider's lens to the problems of a group. Um, and we talked about how uh, Code Geass does this very poorly because uh, Code Geass is protagonist. I have no problem spoiling Code Geass because it's terrible. Um, but Code Geass's protagonist, Lelouch, is an outsider to the Japanese Liberation Front. And yet the show frames his outsider's viewpoint as somehow more morally justifiable. And in a way, he ends up committing colonialism upon the people he's supposedly liberating mm -hmm. from colonization. And you look at that and you go, hmm, this setup isn't really that dissimilar from an isekai setup of we have this person who came into the isekai from out of the isekai, now they're going to solve all of the isekai's problems. And I know this because Amr brought it up to me once a while ago, and I was like, that's so smart. And I literally, like, messaged Mo that day, and I was like, Amr's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> she is, though, so it worked out. Yeah, it was really good, and since then I've always wanted to hear you talk at month about this, so... Let's see how much length I can give to this talk. Um, so or I guess to give... Long yeah. enough. Yeah. I mean, so to give some context, I have watched about a half dozen isekai at this point to various degrees of completion. Um, mm. Ignoring the random isekai episodes of Pokemon, because I've watched almost every Pokemon episode, and there's somewhere they just randomly isekai. Mm. Um, there's... I've watched... I'm currently watching Spider. Uh, I've watched Spider. some episodes of Bookworm. I've watched the season and a half of Log Horizon. I am caught up on Slime, including the current season. Um, I should probably actually give these full names, huh? Um, okay, let me do that again. Uh, so, so I'm currently watching... So I'm a spider, so what? Okay, honestly, they don't have names beyond spider. Like, <laughs> the time I was... So what, I'm a spider, right? Okay. Uh, so... Uh, I'm currently watching... So uh, so what? I'm, a, uh, I'm currently watching So I'm a Spider. So what? Uh, I've watched, um, uh, Ascendance of a Bookworm. I've watched about the first half of the first season. Um, 
I'm currently caught up on the time I review Incarnated as a Slime, and I have watched a season and a half of Log Horizon, and I'm loving it, and I'm getting and me and my friend to rewatch. They're rewatching it. Uh, I'm watching it for the first time, so that we can watch season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm distracting you. <laughs> um, okay. But one of the things I noticed, and it struck me most directly when I was watching Bookworm, is some of the colonial implications of being in an isekai um, in that you are a person uh, coming to a world that is often fantastical in some way, but usually, with what fantasy tropes imply, behind technologically of where our world is. And so you are possessing a lot of knowledge that that world does not possess. Um, mm. And so you are in a position to restructure that world into being the world that you know of, right? right. Bringing in your knowledge to show the people who are uneducated relative to yourself what your superior knowledge can bring. I, uh, I'm just going to leave that sentence to hang for a second. Um I mean, there's, it's there's... it's an it's an unexplored uh, aspect of isekai. I know yeah. because I haven't explored it. Mo, <laughs> <laughs> well, the only isekai writer out there. Like, Mo, well, the only isekai criticism writer out there. There is no other. There is no one else. <laughs> so I guess the thing that I noticed is that there's different isekais handle it to different degrees, uh, mm-hmm. and I think. I'm going to put them into, like, three categories. Um, there is the isekai in which the protagonist acts in a colonial manner, uh, like Bookworm. Um, there is isekai in which the protagonist actually doesn't do that. The protagonist acts within the bounds of the world, but the world is constructed with a very colonial framework. Uh, mm-hmm. That's anime like Slime and Spider. And then there's anime that tackles it head-on. And I'm going to call this category uh, Log Horizon. It's just Log Horizon. <laughs> it's, just, it's the only one. <laughs> um, before... Uh, I, I'm sorry, are you in the middle of a thought? No, no, no. Okay. That's the... I was just going to say, uh, before we get too far deep into the weeds of yeah. isekai itself, I want to talk about how isekai inherits a lot from adventure genres, mm. and adventure genres inherit a lot from colonialism. Mm-hmm. I know this because I... Long time back when I was still like actively designing tabletop RPGs, I started work on a travel game because I love travel mm-hmm. games like you come up. I love adventure games. I started writing it and I went all of a sudden, hold on, this is just a colonialism. Because implicit in a lot of like adventure and exploration narratives is the idea of, oh wow, look at all of these new places with all of these foreign pe- people. I can, like, They're take their culture customs. and yeah. impose my will upon them, right? But if we look at a lot of, like, early adventure fiction, um, one, it has British origins, and two, it, like, really taps into that feeling of, I'm gonna go out to the colonies and see things which have never been seen before, ignoring the fact that there have been people there the entire time living long and complicated mm-hmm. lives. And mm-hmm. this, again... Uh, to tie this back into isekai, one, a lot of isekai fundamentally inherit from that trope of I am an outsider and now I am here to go on an adventure through this wild and wonderful world. And two, this world starts being relevant the moment I enter. 
mm-hmm. until then it was like nothing of note was happening but now that i'm here things are i just, and I just wanted to like give that yeah. framework because it was just something yeah. i was like adventure stories are inherently yeah. colonialist a lot of isekai are adventure stories therefore to um just a brief thing on this to bring this to more um of the type of criticisms that people who read my work would be um familiar with okay that, that was a bad way to frame it i just want to like bridge what people might be familiar with the things that i say about isekai to this new conversation on colonialism and then we should go a lot deeper into lock horizon because there's a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff going on there um but so like a lot of like the most problematic aspects of isekai actually come from this colonial framework so for example um if you think about like shield hero for example like why is (laughs) shield hero allowed why is for example naofumi allowed to to morally get away with owning a slave and like one of the big reasons it's actually the reason that he cites is that we're in a different world now and they have a different culture a culture that I'm using, um, a backwards culture that I'm using to my um, to my benefit. Like, if there's like a son, are you kidding me? Like, where the dude's like married off to a to like a like a fucking child um, with incredibly large breasts. Um, it's the thing that happens. It's kind of creepy. But like, why is it justified? Well, because we're going out to this new external culture where this thing is okay, and. We are picking and choosing the parts of the culture that we want to preserve and the parts of the cultures that we want to like um, replace with our own. Um, there are many more examples like this, like uh, Konosuba. You want to talk about the, like the succubus brothel. You want to talk about like a lot of um, isekai are just like externalize the things that I want to like a weird and exotic thing, uh, mm-hmm. a weird and exotic culture uh, that I can treat basically like like Legos, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actually we should probably cut this in like way before we get into this uh for those who are not familiar with the words isekai it means other world. <laughs> <laughs> i hate it when we do this oh, okay okay there's but always hold on, one. hold on if you manage to get this far as an anime fan without being familiar with what isekai means Congrats. it took me a while to, to you to, won you won no 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 you won you, <laughs> you <laughs> but um I feel like we should probably give people explanation, and if not here, it should be sliced in earlier. Um, but Isekai is of a world, uh, and it... Oh, good. What? You, if I, you, you said, like, you were going to say something. Never mind. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Isekai is, of, it means, if I remember correctly, of a world. Literally what it translates yeah. to, right? And it's essentially a genre of fiction where a protagonist comes from one world, usually our world, into a different one that often has fantasy elements. A lot of prototypical ones will have, like, MMO-ish elements, like Sword Art Online, um, or will have, like, more traditional fantasy tropes, uh, like Shield Hero, because I'm going to just name the bad ones right now. Don't watch those two. <laughs> Save yourself the trouble. But um, that will be the thing. And these guys will have a lot of tropes from different video games. A lot of them will have skill systems or level-up systems that are just Classes, lifted from your favorite um, video game. Stats. Uh, yep. Like Konosuba is based on D&D, which is why it's bad, because D&D is something. <laughs> <awesome. laughs> oh, no. That's allowed. Um, there's an entirely separate conversation. I wish we could have this conversation right now, but I feel like 
if you Umber guys start going to leave, super has heavy. to leave in half half an hour so we don't we literally do not have the time to get into stats are eugenics but yes. stats are eugenics. we might get a little bit into it um, let's let's get, let's get a little so into so it. so let, let, let me but before we get there so back um okay but, well we might get into that later because i i, I kind of yeah, have yeah, like yeah. a little bit of leading go, so go, go. the free the free the sort of categories book uh start with a sentence of a bookworm it's a really okay, cute okay. slice of life anime of someone who gets who really loved books in our world spent her entire life reading and learning things and then dies and becomes reincarnated in the body of a small child who's living with some sort of disability or chronic illness that they don't particularly clarify early on. Um, but it's a really nice slice of life show. It has semi-positive depiction of disability, I think. Like, I haven't gotten too far enough to see if there's any real problematic stuff. There's some stripping of agency, but for the most part, it's a solid depiction of living with chronic illness in a supportive environment. Right. I will say, having seen... The first season and the beginning of the second, I think it's overall pretty good. And also, yeah. like, knowing that a lot of the Anifem contributors do vouch for the show. I, yeah. On that, uh, from that point of view. Yeah. It does it's, very it's, well. a, it's, it's a wholesome time. Like, I watch it if I want just, like, a chill episode that requires not a lot of focus. Um, however, it falls into a problem, like, issues real quickly when the main character starts telling the people of that world how to use the stuff that is theirs, um, right? He, he teaches them how to properly use their fruits or their technology to do stuff because she has knowledge from her world. Uh, and that's, that's actually a kind of complicated hey, topic to hey, talk about. Hey, you yeah. person from the global south, what are you doing not embracing neoliberal capitalism? Haven't you yeah. heard that neoliberal capitalism is the best and most effective way of organizing human societies, and I clearly couldn't be wrong. Yep. I do have um, a... Amr, please finish, um, but I do have an example, like a real-world example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of um, I think it's it, it's it's harder to draw a direct parallel with Isekai, because you can easily say, like, well, if you were born in a world that didn't have access to 21st century technology and you could construct it, would you not attempt to construct an engine and, like, recreate the luxuries you had? And to an extent... Yes, but there is a difference between sharing the knowledge you have with you and telling people how to use their knowledge. And I think Bookworm er errs on the wrong side of that, and a lot of isekai tends to, where the protagonist knows better rather than the protagonist sharing and like exchanging, like participating in cultural exchange. Literally, just compare to Moriarty and this. We don't have to say it again, but just compare to how we talked about like the way Moriarty interacts versus like how bookworm is being described yes yep so um uh, the real world example that i had and perhaps um i will um, send this to you um just so you can see it and perhaps i'll find a way to include this in the episode too um but when the british um colonized ghana um they found um uh obviously they had like the steel plow they had the ox they had like industrial farming on the youtube screen during the youtube video and uh for people watching on a podcast uh we'll put up a bitly link i'll, I'll something figure something out yeah. yeah yeah but um but anyway um uh the british they had like these big like industrial uh, farming techniques and when they got to west africa they found people planting yams in ghana by hand in these little mounds going across and the British came, they said, oh, 
obviously these Africans, they don't have the technology that we have. They don't have the industry that we have. Clearly, they just don't know that it's not efficient to plant things by hand in little mounds. What you have to do is you clear an entire field with a steel plow and plant things and then you can grow them. So they, so when they colonize things, they're like, okay, listen, you're gonna stop doing all this and we're gonna bring you all this cool and wonderful technology that we have to plant a million times more yams than like your puny, um, your puny technique can do. And so, you know, they didn't really have much of a choice. It was do that like shot. So like, <laughs> it was still a colony, right? Um, so, so that's exactly what happened. Um, the British tried to replace uh, mound farming with industrial farming. And it worked for a little while until the rainy season came and washed all the crops away. Right? And so it turned out that the reason why this culture of mound farming in West Africa had developed was not because black people were stupid and did not have technology. It was because they had learned already to adapt to their environment. And this was... Um, mound farming was actually like one of the most um like well thought out ways to farm mm -hmm. in the region right and obviously now we've like developed technology to like to like overcome these challenges but the fact is is that like every single culture regardless of like technological level like has the intelligence to um work around the limitations that they yep. have so to say that like a culture in isekai simply does not know how to best use their resources given what they have is like a colonialist fantasy every culture knew yeah it's chauvinism every culture knew what they were doing yep. even if they didn't have like steel or they didn't have like um like cars or or like fancy roads or whatever every single culture had like a really good reason why they didn't have that thing also i i want to again like tie it back to like our earlier bits of um the episode and like when we go back to talking about like for example Kogias is the epitome of this chauvinism of mm -hmm. it creates a situation in which the liberation front cannot succeed because it literally does not understand the goddamn thing and it needs rational big brain lelouch the colonizer to come in and tell them how to do a revolution yep. properly and to the credit of bookworm there are a lot of parts where the person realizes that just possession of knowledge does not translate into being able to do anything with it when they lack experience applying the knowledge and also lack experience that the people of that area possess. And she has to lean on them more and more in their knowledge and experience, which is one of the things that gets right, but it is not 100% perfect. Mm. And even like, um, like when we criticize a thing, um, it doesn't... I, 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 I deal with this a lot. I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel yeah. like when I criticize things, people, the, the takeaway that they get is that um, I'm calling the thing like, like if I criticize Bookworm or whatever, people say, okay, Mo thinks Bookworm is classes, right? And that's like not, that's not really like the full extent of the take. It's like Bookworm does a thing. Some of it is good. Some of it falls into tropes. Let's talk about it. Let's have, yep. let's have a conversation. You know. No, bookworm is classist. Cancel bookworm. Oh, <laughs> uh, canceled. I think, you know, I think I think there's also a difference between saying, "Hey, this thing is guilty of a harm common in the genre, and this thing is exceptionally bad for what it is." Right? Yeah. Like, there's a difference between saying bookworm falls into some colonial harms and shield hero sucks. <laughs> right? Like, there's Absolutely. they function on know, different levels. You'll know if, if I come for bookworm. A conversation on shield hero. <laughs> The only acceptable way to have that, and also redo of healer, 
the only acceptable yeah. way to have that conversation is the ways in which those shows are failed. So to tie us back in, <laughs> back to tie to us back in, we let's were. let's talk about eugenics. <laughs> That's a light, easy transition. Uh, so, when I talk about colonialism in world building, a huge portion of that is eugenics. And I think Slime, as much as I enjoy it, is really guilty of this. Because okay. Slime does a thing Before where... Before we get into Slime, do we have a moment to like really talk about like the direct links between eugenics and colonialism? Does someone else want to take the wheel on that? Uh, sure, I'll start. Uh, colonialism is built on superiority, often racial superiority, Eugenics is, in a way, if you don't know what eugenics is for some reason, it is the art of basically talking about genetic uh, superiority of certain things. It is essentially a pseudoscience that is used to say this group of people are somehow not are better, not for socially constructed reasons, but for biological reasons. At its worst, it says things like white people are inherently more good and capable of more moral and more good things than black people are. Yeah. Black people are inherently evil, white people are inherently good. And there are lots of different ways of doing that, but oftentimes the reason why eugenics and colonialism go hand in hand is because eugenics is a justification for colonialism. If we look at something like the white man's burden, the white man's burden says white people are so much more civilized than black and brown people. They're so much smarter than black and brown people. And that justifies them asserting their will upon black and brown people because they just know better mm -hmm. and so uh -huh. by accepting that premise of eugenesis premise like that's what allows it to do that and again uh i i don't want to talk too much and cut you off but i just want to say like that's why uh when i say stat spreads in rpgs are eugenicist and that um uh uh, eugenics is tied to colonialism. That's one of the many ways in which isekai, even some of the good ones, reinforce colonialism because they just say some people are better than others, and the follow-up to that is those some people should rule. Mm -hmm. um, and there two two sort of ties to that is like that affects a bunch of other concepts like things like social Darwinism and phrenology, which is the study of skulls. And one of my favorite fun facts about language is the phrase highbrow which is to like in say something is more classy or highbrow like wait is that a skull that thing? yeah it's a phrenology thing uh mm -hmm. so white people uh had were like studied to have eyebrows that were held higher and so that was a sign of intelligence the term highbrow is a eugenicist term it's Whoa. working um, back from the conclusion of we have decided white people are smarter let us find characteristics of white uh, people that make them smarter. A, a film YouTuber I really uh, like, uh, called Kyle Cogren, has a channel, Brows Held High. And he talks about it in a video about how he chose that name because he wants to challenge the idea that people are inherently bro born highbrow, but rather that like choosing to analyze things is a thing anyone can do. It is not a mm -hmm. inherent thing where you are more classy by birth. You can be whatever you want to be. If you want to be analytical about movies, you can be. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually a perfect transition into Slime, because Slime has a thing where when a character, when, when creatures receive names, they become, they, they evolve. Uh, they become boss monsters, which is a cool like carryover from like video games. Like If you have a named enemy, it is always stronger than a non-named enemy of an equivalent type, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, that's a neat thing. However, 
what happens as you watch it more is that the creatures that evolve evolve to become more human the final state of evolution is to become humanoid and then human and to have human characteristics like breasts or you know six packs or whatever mm-hmm. right um the and so times. slime is interesting because Slime operates entirely within the framework of the world. He, he acts... So, the time has reincarnated as Slime. He's reborn as Kirby. He's just reborn as Kirby and gains the power to eat anything and gain their powers. He's just Kirby. <laughs> okay. It's actually really fun. <laughs> it's silly. Um, and he does that a lot. And he operates entirely within the framework of the world, very rarely bringing in his outside world knowledge. And he builds a village using the resources and the knowledge and the expertise of the people from that world to do so. Um, and so in that way, he just acts as an entity of that world. Um, however, it's colonial in its assumptions for its eugenicist assumptions, like the fact that becoming human is the ultimate state of being, that monsters are inherently lesser, that Rimuru, Rimuru trust power because he's the protagonist, but there's also, you know, elements of that where he's just more right to rule because he's a more entitled, level-headed person because of being isekai right? Sure. While the actions Rimuru takes are not necessarily colonial upon the world, the colonial mindset seep into the world building itself. Yes. Ooh, that's... Uh, I, we've definitely had this conversation before, but, like, if the world itself is colonial, right, it was a decision on the author's part, perhaps an unconscious one, to make the world work that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're not saying... Like, again, because uh, I, I'm pretty experienced with, like, Either sometimes they're curious, sometimes they're bad faith. But the responses to um, things like this, they're saying like we're not saying that like slime is going to make people want to go out and do a colonialism. No. I'm saying um, that cancel slime, <laughs> cancel slime. <laughs> hey, it's dangerous. To I will fight you. <laughs> like I enjoy slime a lot. I'm caught up on it. I watch it weekly. It is a fun show. It's got a lot of flaws. It's got a, definitely got sexism in its character designs, and yet it also gives a lot more agency to women characters than media in this genre tends to. Um, mm-hmm. It can have both. I think can have both. Don't watch the OVA. There's just a fan service episode. Just don't okay, care. it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but that doesn't mean like I'm critical of it because I've seen so much of it. I can be this critical because I've enjoyed watching it and I pay attention while watching it, right? Also, Emma is, like, normal. Like, she watches things that she enjoys, and then she doesn't <laughs> watch things that she doesn't enjoy. She um, doesn't I'm, have a friend. She can't let, watch redo of Keeler alone. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. I'm adding you. I'm adding myself. It's okay. <laughs> it was an invitation to add. But uh, another thing, like, a lot of isekai will do is build its world off of sort of western fantasy right like, like western there Europe. will be a lot of hate that shit. western european fantasy in its trappings mm-hmm. and that is sort of assumed to be the ideal civilizations are always ones based on western societies or i i will offer you a slight addendum of not necessarily always the ideal civilizations but the assumed default yes Mm-hmm. The this is what's normal for a fantasy. This is what fantasy means. Fantasy means things that are white coded. Yep. Um, so weird. Like I, I've honestly seen more fantasy anime set in like medieval Europe than I have in like medieval Japan, which sucks. 
because medieval Japan is really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> medieval Japan is so cool. Like, <laughs> like the entire tradition of like samurai and like shoguns and like all this sort of stuff. It's like you could really get lost in there. But no, well, it's really we just have to have like it, it's yeah. super complicated. But like, <laughs> we need we need to instead have like another fiftieth anime about um, King um, Schaffenbachenschnitzel and like. <laughs> His daughter, um, Meli Malimuli, um, the 15th, and how she's, um, she's like, she's a bitch, actually, and, like, we have to have, like, the, and, like, and, like all the knights are this yeah. and that, and, like, we, no, we don't have to do that. Speaking about a king and his daughter, let's talk about the best isekai, uh, Lock Horizon. Okay, let's do it. Wow. Um, so, Lock Horizon, I'll be honest. I only got back to watching Lock Horizon because of Mo. Uh, mm. I don't think Mo knows this. But, so a friend watched, showed me the first couple Aww. episodes of Lock Horizon because it's a show that he really likes and we were going to watch it together and it was relevant to a project he's working on. So mm. I watched it. It was fine. I thought it was really clever and cool, but it didn't do anything super special in the first couple episodes. It was just like cool storytelling in the genre. And because it doesn't really get into the specific framing of NPCs as people of the land, as people who are indigenous to this world and who have a established society in this world until yeah. after the first arc. And so I stopped right before it got good, but I saw Mo tweeting about how, like, Log Horizon's so great. So I was like, okay, let's go see what this is about because I trust Mo. I didn't even read more. I was just like, all right, Mo likes this. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> so I went to my friend. I'm like, hey, you want to stream more Log Horizon for me? And he said, sure. And I've been hooked since. Um, and what it does pressure. is it... It begins systematically looking at the things that we assume to be true about a game and trying to make them make sense in a real functional world. Right. And so the NPCs quickly become called the people of the land. The isekai people are adventurers because that is their role as MMO players, mm -hmm. right? A log horizon takes place in a MMO where the players log in for the new update and find themselves trapped and can't log off. Mm -hmm. um, and what quickly happens is you have to create social order where people who thought they were just playing a game realize they are living here now. Yeah. And it does a lot of neat things. Like, some of the small things that it does is, like, frame quests as people of the land having been tricking adventurers this entire time by offering them random shit they had on hand so that the adventurers could do the things they wanted. Mm -hmm. Like, it gives agency to the NPCs in a way that very few media does. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's super cool. Isn't there, like, a big moment in log in one of the log horizon seasons where they like have a person of the land who transcends the person of the land adventurer boundary yes 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 yeah. um it's a really good um, I, yeah i remember um, thinking that was like a really good moment just because of how it uh it like in a way that other isekai that are a lot more subtle about their adventurer person of the land classified like yep. a lot of isekais don't explicitly draw attention to that divide but in a very real sense it's uncrossable right there are yep. the people with the privilege to be adventurers and the people without it and like that's just you can't change it but mm -hmm. in log horizon even though it's explicit in acknowledging that divide it like has at least one exception i have not been keeping up at, at the point where I yeah there's one. at least um, um and in general um like one of the big themes about lock horizon this is less like a political thing but like one of lock horizon's big messages is that basically 
every time characters treat this like a game in which people are disposable, um, they're usually punished for it. And when they treat it like a real life thing, where like, um, this is a little bit abstract, but like, for example, um, in food, right? Yeah. Uh, there, um, there's a sort of a side quest where people try and figure out how to make food taste good. Because food tastes yep. like absolute dog shit in this world, right? It tastes like nothing. Yeah. They just eat it and it's got yeah. no flavor. And so um, they they try um, what what most of the guilds assume is that there's like some like game mechanic that they're not exploiting or they're not setting. Um, but it turns out the way to make food taste good is to just cook it. <laughs> yep. Like put it in the stove instead of opening your cook menu and crafting a burger. Just uh. cook the burger and it will taste better. Uh. Similarly, um, with the people of the land, if you treat them like NPCs in a video game, um, then it will not work out for you politically. If you treat them like a group of people, you know, with a, with like a culture and a history and with something to offer, um, they will give you the stuff that they have to offer. Yep. Uh-uh. And it's cool because, like, different people have different strengths. Like, the cooking thing is discovered by a person who was the chef subclass, and turns out, and is just the all-around best character, Nianta, who is a cat person swashbuckler. Uh, I call him Nianers because he's great. I love him. He's just the most wholesome being. He fight good. He cook good. 10 out of yes. 10. Yes. Um, and the show consistently explores all of those implications, mm. right? Like... Even the even the like appearance of adventures the first time is later explained to us as a world event done by the people of the land to exert their agency to bring in help that they needed. Right. Um, and the exchanges done between the adventures and the people of the land is all done as like two groups exchanging, mm-hmm. where one is not inherently seen as superior, even though the adventurers are kind of like stronger because they are the adventurers and have the power to like beat people up and we see the negative implications of that in some of the societies that aren't our main protagonist group yeah that like end up being more fascist more yeah they're like some pretty open open fashy open like yeah. like well it's all like coded in like video game mechanics so it, it doesn't feel this dark but there's definitely like legitimate slave societies that's <laughs> that end up forming um by some of yep. the other like non non-protagonist aligned people I just wanted to really quickly mention, uh, I think it's possible to argue that Log Horizon argues for the public ownership of uh, services necessary for life and argues that when such services are privatized or consolidated in the hands of the few, it uh, leads to fascism. Um, I I would agree with that take, actually. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so, like, actually... Oh, good. Do, are, in season one, do they like bring up the church? Yeah, like um, one group who like privately owns the church. That's brought up at, at the end of season one. Yes. Yeah. So one of one one of the cities, the a group like buys the resurrection spot and controls resurrection mm-hmm. in that town, and basically runs a dictatorship by controlling by being able to kill anyone and being like. We control wherever you can live here, and we can exile you by banning you from resurrecting here. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing that happens. Um, like the 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 government that they end well in in season three, 
um, Shiro says it's not a government, but it, it, it is. It's a government. But the government that ends up forming um, the Roundtable Alliance, um, they one of the first things they do is they like um obviously people can like live sort of because it is still a video game but they make sure everyone gets like food they make sure everyone gets shelter they make sure everyone gets like um training to whatever sort of vocation that they want to do there there's definitely like i'm not sure if i could say it's like communism or socialism um but there's definitely like a sense of there is like a societal role to provide people with the things that they need to like live comfortably yep um Um. and that's actually a thing i think that slime also does really well Mm -hmm. is that like rimuru creates this monster society and there is never the impression that anyone wants in that society right everyone Mm -hmm. is given enough to survive and supports one another and fulfills different roles um there doesn't seem to be any sort of internal economy the economy is exclusively done to interact with others in the world according to like their systems of trade right and mm-hmm. i think that's one of the things that slam does really well in, like well it doesn't tackle it as directly as lock horizon it also has rimuru acting within the framework of the world treating the others in the world as equals both isekai and non-isekai mm-hmm. um and there's actually in like the most recent episodes Rimuru like realizes he had a bias towards isekai people over the non-isekai people and that was wrong to an extent it's not as explicit but it's kind of it's the themes that are being played around with which is neat interesting yeah, yeah. Uh, with that being said um thank you all for sticking so much um, if you I'm, watch yeah. to the end of this and you're watching on YouTube, comment grape juice. I, I want to run an experiment. Just comment grape juice. Right. And I'll see who comments grape juice. Um, if you... Or, like, do on Twitter, just at Mo Black um, grape juice. Um, uh, and if do not provide here... an explanation. Do not well, pass go. Um, and if you're here, uh, my request for you will be to read Candle Subaltern Speak by Gayatri Chakravarti Spiva. I feel like this is um, CWT's version of uh, Read Settler. <laughs> this is CWT's version of The Two Genders. All <laughs> <laughs> that grape juice and Read Spiva. Uh. <laughs> Uh, like like we have a we have a gender reveal party every hour <laughs> it's either great juice or a copy of Kevin Subaltern's tea anyway um uh, that, that being said so. uh, I'm Raghavan my friends are anything other than he or she and I'm Mo he him and this has been Amrit hey uh, yeah, that's me. I'm on my cameras. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, hi. I'm on my Any pronouns except he. Uh, mostly can be found on Twitter at Amaraz, which sort of works as the central hub. Uh, I've got a couple other projects. Let's see. What can I talk about right now? Uh, I'm on the Musafirus podcast, uh, season two. We're prepping towards it. Is a uh, fantasy tabletop role playing podcast set in a. A South Asian inspired fantasy setting with a majority South Asian cast plus me. Uh, it's kind of chilly there. <laughs> I don't know why they have me. It's fine. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Our first season, 
uh, sort of wrapped up and is in D&D, but in our second season, we're looking at a new system. In the meantime, I'll be running a one-shot. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun, so you can listen into that. Um, you can hear my voice on the on a bunch of other places. That's the main one that I can talk about right now. I also do freelance game design. You can check it out. Uh, some of my work on itch.io, amarez.itch.io. I hear yeah, you made a game that won every award. I did. <laughs> I made a game that won every award. And if you don't believe me, go check it out and then give it more awards because it's already won them. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that's it. Um, I have various things. A lot of my things are fleeting, so Twitter is the best place to find out about them as they're happening. Yeah. And all High of five. this will be linked in places. And yeah. yeah, we will see you all next time. More guests. Uh, before, yeah, thank you. Uh, before you stop recording, let's do a count because I don't think we did a count at the beginning. No, we did not. Okay. Cool, awesome, <laughs> amazing. Uh, one, we're still good at this. Two, three, three four, 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 five, five six, six, seven, seven, eight, eight nine, nine, ten. ten. Good job. <laughs> Way to go, team. Good job. That count felt like it was slowing down as it was going, and we were all slowing down to, like, match up one another's slowdowns. Yeah, this uh, this happens with their counts a lot. This always happens. I will say, running out of time is the best reason to stop an episode, because that just means we had so much to say. And mm-hmm. honestly, I feel like... All right.